Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode 6 of the Performance Nutrition Files podcast. This week I'm speaking with Dr. Matt Frakes. Matt is a sports dietitian working at the University of Louisville where he works primarily with their men's and women's basketball teams. Dr. Frakes recently finished his PhD where he did some nice concussion research, which you know, is a real hot topic out here in the United States, especially with American football, both at the collegiate and professional level. The theme of our conversation today is relationships, and I think this episode is really important for anyone, honestly, who works with individuals, athletes, whether that's at the collegiate or professional level, because I really truly believe they are the bedrock of doing really good, effective work as a practitioner. So without further ado, Enjoy the episode with Dr. Frakes. Hey everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by uh, you know, a practitioner I got to know pretty well over the last year. Uh, I'm not sure we've ever actually formally met, but um, you know, been really impressed with the content that he puts out. Uh, he's done some fantastic concussion research, um, you know, in the past couple of years as part of his PhD, uh, you know, does some great work as an applied practitioner, always enjoy seeing that being shared. And uh, yeah, real pleasure to have him here today. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, Charles, man. I feel honored to be here. You have some great practitioners that's already been on here, some stars that's been on here already. So hopefully I don't let anybody down. <laughs> hey man you certainly belong and it's uh it's friday afternoon at the time of recording this so i appreciate your time and taking the time out and just uh to kick us off here if you could just give the listener who maybe doesn't know who you are doesn't know who you are a quick overview of your career and education to date absolutely um so i went to bowling Ridge state university um i was a student athlete there played football there I uh, had my undergrad and my master's completed there and also my dietetic internship where I completed my rotations around a numbers of um, uh, areas or places in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so then after I did that, I obviously passed the board exam, became a registered dietitian, uh, started my LLC called Superior Nutrition and Performance. Uh, I didn't have anything lined up right away. So I was working as um, a private practice practitioner and then also was contracted with a place called Eleven Athletics where I worked with NFL, NBA, uh, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball players, those that came there or had families in Columbus actually and were training there. So um, I helped them out with their nutrition practices and uh, actually was uh, cooking for them as well and then having that stuff delivered during that time too. So I can cook just a little bit, not a chef, but I can cook just a little bit. Um, and then after that, I actually had the opportunity to get my PhD and I was the assistant sports dietitian for University of Mississippi or Ole Miss. Um, and I was the main dietitian for baseball and uh, track and field cross country there. So my research was actually an opportunity as well, which I was looking at concussions and the impact of nutritional concussion recovery, uh, which that was phenomenal opportunity and it helped me grow as an individual um, and helped me grow as a practitioner. So, and it was a phenomenal time too, because that was when uh, my wife, which was my fiance or my girlfriend at the time, and then turned to my fiance, uh, actually, our family was growing too. So then after that, went to University of Louisiana um, and was the associate director there of sports nutrition. And then it was just time to come back closer to home. So I'm here now at University of Louisville, um, where now I'm closer to family and also working with men's women's basketball 
uh, lacrosse, volleyball, and softball. So uh, you've probably seen me uh, having a lot of energy maybe on the side or, or on the side of the court or anything. Um, and we just got back from San Antonio for the women's basketball NCAA tournament. So that was a wild ride too and a phenomenal experience. So, um, and that's a quick little recap. Yeah, that's quite an action-packed journey right there. And while you raised it, um, if you wouldn't mind, share a little bit about that NCAA experience. I'm sure we got practitioners listening to this who are maybe there or they saw, you know, some of the social media posts and kind of the scenarios that teams are dealing with. Speak to us a little bit about your experience. How was it? Yeah, I'm going to talk to about it the best way I can. Um, so for those that were there, obviously, no, it was a complete challenge. Um, there were four different sites, I believe, of where, where we were in San Antonio and that bracket over there um, throughout the entire time. So from the beginning, obviously, it was a challenge where we had to have two mandated meals throughout the hotel, and they had to be individually packaged um, and follow those COVID standards and protocols throughout what the NCAA had created. And then also trying to make sure that say, what can we bring in from the outside and have that stuff as far as with those vendors and having a hotel trafficker, uh, the virtual um, the virtual tournament assistant, which that was the individual that was assigned to us that would go pick up any items that we need from the outside world. So it was a, it was a true bubble, man. It was a true bubble. Um, so we couldn't really interact with anybody on the outside. We had to actually, when things were brought back, it had to be given to the person that was there and we couldn't have a direct contact with them. Uh, so things started kind of easing up and then also it was a challenge as far as for them to train as well because we did have nothing but a yoga mat and dumbbells. I believe it was up to maybe like 35 pounds or something like that, which as you know, is definitely was an insult, <laughs> but um, uh, for lack of a better term. So uh, it, it, got, it got together after, after a couple of days. So things started getting a little bit better. The logistics started getting a little better and it became more of, a, in my eyes, a battle of the resources. So th those that were able to perform and actually recover and fuel, because I'm gonna be honest with you, as far as the meals that were delivered or the meals that were prepared, I truly do not think, and this is a personal opinion that they were, um, ready or truly equipped to handle the amount of teams and amount of people there. So the quality wasn't what the teams were used to. And also it just depends on what your team's individually used to as well, as far as the food. So, but it wasn't enough. Portion sizes weren't enough. So I always had to add things and make sure that we had a grocery store run to add things to the meals as well. Uh, and, and make sure that we couldn't change the menus at all whatsoever. So from our standpoint, it was a huge challenge as, as a nutrition practitioner, it was a huge challenge. So that was eventful. And it was in me and our director of operations, which it was, it was a blessing that even I went because I don't know a lot of sports dietitians or sports nutritionists that went with those teams. So, um, and I think that was part of our, not advantage, but part of a, a, a lucky blessing that I was able to, they could afford for me to go uh, on that trip and be a part of that travel party. So that way I can navigate and help get some ideas to help our team actually be fueled and have enough to be recovered as well for the next day. Um, because those games and the turnarounds were right one after another. It was maybe two or three days and, and unless you made it to the Sweet 16 and then you had maybe four or five days off. So it was, it was a challenge, man, but yeah. 
Yeah, I think you certainly made a great point about uh, being fortunate to go and helping out from operations. And, you know, from our experience, you know, uh, Samantha, who works with me, she got to go with the men's team. And uh, I think they'd have struggled without her by the sounds of it. And, you know, she did a great job making sure they were fed and ready to go. And I just don't think people truly understand it until they're in it. But, um, you know, again, probably a great way to shine an extra light on your work and everything that you had done with the team in the season and unfortunately came up just short, right? Yep, yep. We got eliminated in the lead eight. So, and actually to the national champions to Stanford. So, which was a phenomenal team in and out. So it takes some pride in that. But anyway, let's, let's switch gears here and kind of focus on the topic of what I wanted to speak to you about today. And that's something we often hear about amongst uh, nutrition practitioners, strength and conditioning, and that is the importance of relationships. So as you mentioned at the start, as an individual who has gained experiences on different college campuses, uh, worked with a wide variety of athletes, male and female, uh, different sports, would you agree that the relationships are kind of the bedrock of your work to be an effective practitioner? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, truth be told, the relationships are what's going to even allow you to even communicate with those you work with um, because they're not going to trust you and they are not going to actually want to even listen to what you have to say, no matter how educated you are, if the relationship is not there. And that's not just in my opinion, but you, you, you've seen or you heard from maybe other individuals that when they work with the athletes, maybe it's, it's, it may be difficult to work with certain people or it may be difficult to work with certain teams. And it could just be for a simple fact of that you don't have that relationship established it's very difficult for us to even depend on how stretched thin we are, how many teams you work with, how many individuals you work with to truly build a relationship. And if you're not someone that uh, has the ability to do so, then it can make your job a lot more difficult, especially in a college realm. So. Yeah. That, and with that, how you made a great point about being stretched thin there. So tell me, this kind of combines into the next question. What are some things that you do day to day in your practice to try and build and develop those relationships with athletes, especially when you are working with multiple teams? Yeah, man, honestly, so this first year, so especially during this year, we moved here during COVID. All right. And this is my first year working at University of Louisville. So or Louisville for those outsiders. <laughs> so um, honestly, this first year has been nothing but just relationships and, and, establish, and establishing those. So it was simply just as far as like having a communication point of on Teamworks, sending out maybe a group text, putting my information out, like, hey, contact me whenever you uh, have the ability to, or just making sure that I send little pictures of myself and my family, like to those individuals as well, and to the group as well, to kind of loosen things up. Um, because kids love kids they love seeing kids so luckily i have a two-year-old so that's that's my little baby <laughs> right there um and then the other thing is too like honestly like you i believe a while back you even said at one point like it takes a thousand conversations almost for you to make that one conversation as far as for that nutrition tidbit um an education point for it to really run across that individual you know so and honestly that's where the majority of those conversations take place is building that relationship so that way they can actually be receptive to you um, and also understanding where they're coming from and, and what their background is, what their 
uh, mishaps have been in the past. Um, and there's been a few of my athletes here that because of the turnover, you know, that, we, that they experience, it's hard and difficult to build a relationship with the dietitian or the nutritionist because they're, so many, they're used to so many new faces that it doesn't allow them to have a value or importance to nutrition and how it impacts their health and their performance. Um, so it's, it's one of those, okay, those conversations, maybe not even just about nutrition, just who they are, who their family is, where they come from, um, their academics. Is there anything that you have some, some type of comparison or compatibility to between you and them and their lifestyle and how they had their upbringings and all that stuff? Or is there something that's unique uh, to you that maybe they don't know or something unique to them that you may not know or that the coaching staff may not know? Um, so it's just having some type of personality with them and also, you know, having that vulnerability to build those relationships and bridge that gap. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all gold. And I think all things, you know, as I sit here and think about, I could resonate on too. I don't think until I truly immerse myself in the kind of environment I was in when I first started, did I ever feel the same kind of reward and value of my work, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. once you let your guard down and kind of put yourself out there and realize, at least in a collegiate setting, you really are kind of working with with kids, right? They're, I think we always forget that they are just human beings too. And to see that you are, you're not just the nutrition police or the enforcer, that you are a real human being too. And you you always have their best interests at heart and you want to help them. And I think just realizing sometimes you don't have to be forcing nutrition information upon them 24 seven to, um, you know, kind of make those changes and build those bridges. And I think sometimes you see um, frustrations maybe amongst practitioners and then it kind of leads into a point that you just made. People tend to hop around a lot without some kind of consistency there and embedding yourself amongst that team. You maybe never get to unlock those conversations and those moments, which are pretty fulfilling. I don't, I don't know if I'm just kind of talking, talking to myself here, but, but would you agree uh, with that? No, I definitely would, man. You, you have to remember too, we were all, 17 to the, the 24 once, okay? What was our state of mind when we were 17 to 24 years old and having been in, within a new environment? For those of us that went to a university or those of us that were student athletes, depending that, you had to put yourself in their shoes as well, you know? And, and I definitely agree with you, man. I definitely agree with you, um, especially when it comes to those relationships. And then and, and you, it takes time to build those relationships too. And if there's so many new faces, how can you really trust the individual to really lead you to the right direction? Yeah. I, I mean, all valuable points. And if there was one kind of thing I would add to give to a younger practitioner would be uh, the quicker you can kind of put yourself out there and be vulnerable uh, and kind of let your guard down a little bit. Um, the quicker you're going to see results, the quicker you're going to have athletes coming to you, ask for questions, wanting nutrition help. Um, you know, that's something, you know, I've seen in my own practice or even as we hire new individuals, once they get comfortable and let the guard come down, that's when the good stuff starts happening. So, uh, of course, you need to be professional, but at some point, you know, you got to you got to be able to build a relationship and strike up a conversation with pretty much anyone and everyone within the building. Yeah, man. Brother, we have to also stop, you know, thinking that 
it's not professional to build a relationship with the individual we work with and the athletes we serve because that's what makes that's why we're in this in our profession that i hope so one of the reasons why the to make an impact and improve and better the people we serve and who we work with so and if that's not one of the reasons why you're in this business working those long hours and you know maybe sacrificing time with family and yourself improving your self-care you know um to improve those around you then that's where you have to reflect on yourself like is this for you you know yeah i mean i, I don't think anyone could have said it any better than that now by no means do are we advocating that you go to the club with the team on saturday right. night or you're out drinking <laughs> right. with them right but, don't do that yeah. that's, that's unprofessional <laughs> but you know, you can, you need to be out at practices. You need to get around them when they're lifting and at meal periods. You know, if, if an individual is in the way in the office, you know, making spreadsheets, waiting for consults, building infographics, information to stick up on the wall. Like that's, that's not the same as having a conversation and getting your face out there and being around those athletes, you know, and that, that's, uh, I mean, that's what it's all about. So anyway, I'm gonna I'm move on. We we get a little little carried away here, but uh, that let's flip that a little bit. How how would you approach an athlete you maybe don't have as strong of a relationship with? You know, are there any strategies that you kind of use there to maybe um, get that athlete on side or try and pique their interest in nutrition? Yeah, honestly, it's presence is the first thing. Uh, showing my face. Um, just try having a little, little small talk and small conversations to kind of build a rapport. So, and that's, you have to align kind of like your baseline information also with that too. You can't go down and, and make as far as your education and your counseling um, very detailed when you're first working with those individuals, because that's also part of, that's probably not the, the, the state of mind that they're at because they maybe are not receptive or listening to you as effectively because they don't know you, you know, um, or you don't know them. So you're not touching on points that's relatable to them. So, and, and that's where, as far as like the first thing is going to be my presence, small talk, seeing who the individual is um, and those points I touched on earlier, as far as working with those individuals, who they are, where they're coming from, their background, not just the sport they play or, uh, knowing as far as macronutrient distribution or knowing as far as what they need uh, to align their caloric in, uh, intake in, to align with their caloric expenditure, all that stuff. So first is the characteristic of the individual knowing who they are um, and just building time to know that. So, and then after that, then guiding the education towards that individual. There's one thing to do team talks and put everybody in within your curriculum as far as what they need to know. But truth be told, man, what, what, what really each one of those athletes and individuals get, how they retain the information is that the information is relatable to each one of those individuals' lives. And if it's not, it's gonna go one ear and out the other. So we can do all the team talks in the world, but it's not if it's not relatable to them, then they're not gonna to want to understand it. You're not going to understand it. So that's where we kind of kind of guide our education around what is the not just the culture of the team, but actually that individual in itself and and really know those individuals. And it's very and I know it's very hard because 
depending on who you are, if you work with one team or you're working with eight to 12, it can be very difficult. It can be very difficult, especially here in a college field. It can be very difficult, but, and hopefully we continue to progress towards having a dietitian per one to three teams, you know? And that's, and hopefully, and that's the vision of our, of, of all of us in our field and how we can be effective in the college setting. But until then, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it's about really knowing who your team is and the culture of that team and guiding that education based on that. Yeah, I think you make some really great and valuable points. And again, kind of going beyond the just X's and O's of nutrition knowledge and putting that on your athletes that, you know, again, you kind of just mentioned it before we got talking, you you may have all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't make it relatable to an athlete, yep. it, it doesn't matter how good the information is there. They're not going to do it. And I was going to ask you something, maybe a technique here that I've used, um, you know, let's take a football roster, for example, at some point you may have 120 athletes on there. And, mm -hmm. you know, I would definitely say over the course of that roster, there's some athletes I have better relationships with others, but we're fortunate in the college setting that there's a lot of support staff around typically. Um, and have you ever maybe tried to use the other staff member to be a bridge for a relationship? 100%. I've <laughs> used coaches. I've used athletic trainers. I've used a strength conditioning coach. Um, I use the academic advisor. Um, I've used every person on the staff and on the support staff, not just the health and sports performance staff, but every way possible. Like, hey, can you introduce me to this individual um, and get to know the, the people that I'm working with first? So that way, when they introduce me, it's a lot easier to have a conversation with them because they trust that individual that they know. They may not trust you yet. And that's that bridge right there. Because if that person that they know knows you, and they vouch for you, then they're going to be more open and receptive to, okay, I can meet this person. Maybe, okay, they, they maybe have my best interest at heart too. They're not just here just to check a box to say that they talk to me or let the communication go anyway, or if I contact them to know where to be found. So that's, and that, yes, I've definitely bridged the gap by using my coworkers and using whoever, it could be even a teammate that maybe I worked with um, in the past or, and they can vouch for me or from other teams that they know and they affiliate themselves with and they hang out on a consistent basis or that's their roommates and they vouch for me. So yeah, definitely. So I, I think sometimes often underutilized because nutrition somewhat still gets siloed as the new kid on the block. You know, we're typically a smaller staff in terms of other support staffs, but I think important for people to remember that everyone is, on the same team and pulling in the same direction. So mm -hmm. maybe try and find that uh, individual on staff that the athlete confines to. And, you know, there's, there's always going to be someone and maybe they can kind of unlock that door for you and, you know, be a bridge and maybe help build that relationship. But with that, um, we've spoken about the athlete here, but I really want to focus on the collegiate settings. I think this is important. How do you approach your interactions and discussions um, with other staff members in athletics, you know, what about the relationship piece there? Oh, honestly, so it's going to be the vision of who that head coach is primarily, okay? Knowing what the vision is and how they know how that coach operates, because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's their team, it's their unit, it's their staff. And then we collaborate with each other to align ourselves with, with that goal 
and then maybe improve or benefit things from the vision based upon what, not what we know, but okay, what else are maybe that they, that they are missing in that link that our area improves on. So, and, and that's where you have, and that's why that relationship with the staff that you work with is very important because you may be the new staff member on, on the team or a unit. And if the coaches don't, tr don't know you yet or trust you yet um, because they weren't the one that hired you, then obviously you need to build a relationship with the individual that they have that trust with. So that way maybe that can be your bridge as well on that. So, and then also with, with your coworkers and with your staff members, it's gonna be important because that reflects on how, on how your care and your coordination of care is gonna be best suited for the team that you work with. If you don't collaborate and if you don't communicate and if your relationships are not, are not great, it's, it's not gonna reflect well on the, on the athletes and they know, and they know when people don't get along. They can feel the energy in the room with the people don't get along or there's going to be conflicting messages. It's not going to do any good at all whatsoever. So that's why that relationship is very important with that. And it's not to say that you have to get along with everybody, but you guys do have to come to a common ground or a, or a common vision for the team. Because in all actuality, if, even if you don't get along with them, even having that common vision and you guys can come to a, an agreement, then at the end of the day, that goal will allow that vision to take into fruition and make sure that that vision actually it shines and it actually occurs and it happens. Not just we say this is the vision and nothing happens because yeah, it sounds good on paper, but we're not making any actions or we're not actually having that uh, care or that relationship to make that vision come, come into place. Yeah, I think this is maybe as important, not quite, but it is almost on the same level as having the relationship with the athlete. That um, you know, everyone again is hopefully working towards this common goal. And this is something that I hear uh, Pratik Patel speak about quite a lot. Is you're going to come into contact with so many different people in the day, whether that's your equipment guy, the business office, a coach. Uh, uh, athletic trainer, strength coach, you know, everyone can kind of give you something in those discussions or, you know, there may be a time that you need some help for them. Um, you know, the equipment guy reminding you to get your trunk on the, on the truck mm -hmm. before you leave for a game or extra pair of hands on the road, because, you know, typically if a sports nutrition staff member's traveling, there's only one, you know, people help you out. If, if you're, um, if you don't have good relationships with those people or you don't take the time to have those conversations, build those relationships, people aren't going to be very willing to help you. And I, again, I think sometimes as nutrition, we like to play this, oh, we're so hard done by, you know, we're mm -hmm. small staffs, no one, you know, no one backs us, but you know, you got to get these people on side. Like the prime example would be strength and conditioning, right? If your head strength coach doesn't really believe in what you're doing, you're not present, you're not available, uh, you're not getting the job done, you know, that they're, they're gonna, you're gonna be sidelined pretty quickly and they're, they're gonna take it over and it's, it's gonna be a bad, bad deal for you, you know, and I exactly. think sometimes we forget, yes, we're a small field, we're normally a small staff, and but I think sometimes we get so hyper focused on, you know, trying to do the right thing and do a great job that it's almost to the detriment because we forget that there's a lot more going on than just nutrition. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We have to take our pride to the side, man. Like, yes, we, we, we know a lot, but at the same time, too, we have to have the ability to put our pride to the side, no matter how frustrating it can be. Because you also got to remember, too, you're working with people and they have their own prize and they have their own thing that they are having a vision for or they're dealing with uh, personally as well, too. So you never know what they're what they're going through. Um, so that's where you have to make sure that <laughs> that you're working with those people, you know who those people are and they can help you get to that common goal that you want to see happen for the goals and for your performance plans for your team that you're working with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you feel the same because, again, I think, you know, I'm not trying to get on the pedestal or soapbox here, but I do think, you know, again, if you can start building good relationships with these people, and I'm talking administrators, business office, fund right, you know, things yep. slowly get a little bit easier for you. You may get a little bit of help here and there. That new uh, piece of software that makes your life that bit more easier and efficient and takes time away from mundane tasks happens. And, you know, again, that it takes time to build and it takes time to develop. But, you know, I think it that, that allows you to do more fulfilling work and, you know, be around your athletes more and all of those things. I think it certainly comes together. But switching gears back to, uh, to the athlete, um, kind of my last question on this, does your technique or style or does anything change between a man and female athlete because you do work with both? So well, how about oh, that? Oh, man. You know what? That's a great question. And honestly, so it's, it's, it's not gender. It's not gender specific. It's more so specific to the individual and their background, because even if you have two people of the same genders, or two people of the same race, they still, have a, they still have come from a different background. And no matter what, that's what you have to kind of guide that as far as like how you communicate and how you talk to them and how you actually uh, guide your education towards and make it understandable and relatable to them. So it's not more so just male and female, it, but I'm lucky enough because, because I have a wife that I, I kind of, I don't understand, it's not that I understand, but I listen to, okay, what's some, what's some complications or as far as like uh, things to make sure that I need to consider when I'm speaking with them and the messaging when I speak with them um, and just, just individuals in a sense from, from that, but it's not really gender specific. It's just based on who that individual is and their background. But obviously, you know, when it comes to male and female sports, depending on the type of sport it is as well and kind of how the, how the coach recruits those individuals and the type of athlete and the, their vision of who they want on their team uh, to perform a part. And you can, you can kind of see those things too, as far as those, the, 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 the coaches kind of have a tendency of recruiting and bringing in athletes. That's their vision as far as for that and, uh, and come from a, not a particular background, but it can be, it can be from two parent homes or it can get, be from an individual that has a rough upbringing, things like that, that you have to consider. So, you, you have to be mindful of, that's what you have to be mindful of is that their background is gonna come into play. Not really male, female, but even though male, females come have different things that they have to deal with, you can't ignore that. Um, especially when you're coming into as far as looking at your performance planning and your programming around their ovarian cycle um, when it comes to those female athletes. And obviously the male doesn't have to deal with that um, but as far as like what we have, not really when it comes to gender norms and when it comes to, you know, typically um, the culture of what those individuals bring to the table and how you can guide your, um, 
your education and your communication around that. Yeah, uh, great points and certainly uh, some food for thought. I think when, um, you know, I got my current position, I've kind of really only been exposed to male athletes beforehand. And I thought maybe I would need to change my approach, but I think my female athletes, I got far much more uh, buying and respect and gain more traction as a male for just kind of treating them how I was treating the males, right? You know, I don't know why I saw that that had to be different in the initial phase. And once mm-hmm. I kind of figured that out, you know, it became a lot more easier to get traction with those athletes. I don't know as if a, as a male, I felt different in that scenario. So I'd be curious, maybe, maybe I'll ask a female practitioner that next time around. I'd be curious to see if they, you know, would feel the same vice versa, but you know, it's a subject yeah, when we speak about building relationships, you know? Yep. And we're all different too. So even that female practitioner are like, there's some differences of what we just said too. Um, so is, and what I like to see is like, as far as like being like, when you enter yourself in the room and listening more, you can really find out the culture of that team. Just like even in the, being in an athletic training room when they're going in there for recovery and things like that too, really listening to what they talk about that's not sport specific, you know, um, not really locker room talk, but sometimes they have conversations about other things that's not related to the sport in itself. So. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what makes it interesting and keeps us on our toes, but yeah, I didn't, yeah. I, didn't I, didn't, I didn't want that point to come out, I guess in a negative sense, but I guess it's probably naivety to, you know, when I got my current position, I probably, you know, wasn't ready for it and didn't know my approach would have to change and uh, quickly yeah. realized that it didn't and, uh, you know, had far more success once I just, you know, kind of kept an even approach and treat everyone in the same, same manner and, you know, kind of was just true to myself, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. All right, man. So I'm going to wrap this up a little bit here. And this, again, has kind of become a recurring theme in this podcast. And uh, as an individual who just spent a few weeks, you know, in this NCAA bubble uh, away from home, I'm sure you were probably at the conference uh, tournament Mm -hmm. before that too. So you're stacking weeks, you travel with the teams, uh, you've had a long season. Uh, And as you mentioned, you've got a two-year-old at home. So how as a practitioner, do you try and maintain some kind of work-life balance as a sports dietitian in the college environment? It, it is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it like it's an easy thing to do. It's very hard because also with us, before we have families and when we're getting into this field, you know, and it's just you you're worrying about, you could, you could work those long hours and do whatever that needs to be done to get the to, to, to get the results that you want to see and to get the results or answer calls whenever, you know, and just be accessible, not 24 seven, be accessible just whenever. But when you have a family, those things are different. And the thing is, is that, you know, that that's, and that's a piece of advice I always have taken from those before me and really listening to as far as like seeing those that have families. And I want to make sure so I grew up in a two-parent home with my mother and my father, God rest his soul. And he always valued, no matter how many other jobs he had to work, he always made sure he valued his family. And he, he always made time for his family. So it was times where he was dead tired and still came to our games. And we played all year round. And even if that was the time to come to the games, that was his time to come to the game, spend time with the family. So it's, like I said, it's, it's very difficult, but you have to, you have to make your priorities depend on what your priorities are 
and and you see some practitioners that sometimes the family life can be put to the side because of the priority is the execution and the goal and vision of the team. But sometimes you can't allow yourself to be that accessible to make sure that because if you allow yourself to be that accessible, then you're not spending time with your significant other or your or your kids. So that's one thing that I value and that I make sure that I let those around me understand. Like my family's gonna come first, but those conversations gotta be had. Before even I got hired here, those conversations were had. And I'm not gonna put myself in an environment that or a community or culture that's not family oriented. And it may not work out. It can it can be the greatest, the greatest team or just the this the uh, the greatest logo that you work for, you know. But at the end of the day, if if you don't fit that same culture and say that you have a family and typically the staff doesn't, your family may be sacrificing that time that you're working with those individuals because they can't relate to that. So we're on instance for myself, I'm with individuals that all have families and they all have that understanding. So, and it was, it was hard. I was gone for three weeks, man. I was gone for three weeks and I had a lot of video time and a lot of FaceTime as far as with the family. And it, obviously the conversations, the plan ahead couldn't be done because we would go somewhere and we would get canceled due to COVID or we would have a game just scheduled out of nowhere because the game got canceled because of COVID. So this one was allowed to be done. So, like I said, it was very difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, like when I got back, they understood like, hey, <laughs> don't call me. Don't, 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 don't expect any conversation with me for, for like four or five days, man. <laughs> but not at all because I missed quality time with my wife and my son. So, um, and then also at night, I make sure that I let my athletes know like, hey, you guys know I got this little one and I got a wife at home. So don't, don't contact me past seven. <laughs> don't contact me past seven o'clock. That's my time with them. And just know that if you contact me past seven, I won't get back to you to the morning time. So, and I've always been up front and that's, and also they can respect that too, because they want to see that. So those young athletes you work with, you're also a mentor to them at the end of the day. So if you are able to balance your work life and they see that you bring your family around to events and they can see that too. Um, and you're with that special person that, that likes to be around sporting events as well. Like all that stuff got to be considered, all right? And I'm just one of those lucky individuals that has that to where my, my, my wife is tough as nails. She supports me in whatever I need to get done. And she understands there's going to be sometimes that's, un, that's not unrealistic, but as far as the schedule is not going to align with what we need. So um, during specific times of the season, in the off season, all that stuff, we got to plan accordingly. We may not be able to take vacations until then, or we may not be able to see our parents and drive up until then, um, until this point of the season. But also make sure that, you know, I, I make sure that I turn my phone off during particular times of the day. I make sure that when I'm with my son and with my wife, that I am, I, even though my phone is on, I'm not paying attention even if it rings, okay? And they understand that. So, and you know when it's an emergency, but typically in our field, man, there's not gonna be an emergency at like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. at night or 11 p.m. at night. So there's some things that may be perceived as an emergency, but you can't handle nothing at 11 p.m. at night until in the morning time. Now it's different for an athletic director. It's gonna be different, but for our, for our jobs, what can you do at 11 p.m. at night? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> everything he just said has so much value, and I really don't want this to come across as like a negative of you know, and this theme that's kind of occurring throughout the podcast. But I really do think it's important because um, you're lying to me if you're not speaking about this offline with others. And I know there's mm-hmm. people out there that struggle with this. So I think it's important, you know, if there's an issue that you know people bring it up, speak about it, and every guest we bring on here has different experience, different you know, different home situations, but can have an appreciation here and take some value from that. So I, I don't know if you listened to the previous episode with Dana. That was one thing that she said. She puts boundaries in place. She's upfront about it. People respect that. You know, you're not kind of disappearing, and no one knows where you are. You know, hey, I'm. I got to do this. This is important to me. Uh, I'll get down whatever you need me to do in the meantime. But when it hits this time, I'm gonna spend time with my family and do you know the things outside of work that um, you know kind of fulfill me and you know make yeah. sure that when I'm on campus every day that I can be my best for the athlete, right? Instead of coming in being miserable, man, I work so much. I work so many hours. I didn't get to do this. You know, that's that's no fun to be around and. Mm-hmm. kind of wrap it up with this point I, I got to speak with a head coach a few months ago and he made the point of you know for the most most of the time the nutrition practitioner is one of the first people you see when you get in the building and one of the last people you see before you leave you know typically you know maybe there's a breakfast and a dinner in there and you're around have that presence like you you can set the tone for the day and if you if you bring that negative energy or you know that kind of feeling of misery or you know i'm overworked or i'm not happy you know that that sets a tone so yeah you know, remember but anyway man i really appreciate your time it's uh it's getting on a little bit friday afternoon here if anyone listening or still listening at this point wants to get in contact with you reach out to you have any questions and what we discussed today um can they do so absolutely man i'm, I'm an open door um, just know I'm going to set those boundaries if you're contacting me during family time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, feel free. To, my, my Instagram and Twitter are both superior freaks. Um, so you can contact me there. You can contact me via LinkedIn. I'm not hard to find. Um, and then also you can contact me via email. You can contact me matthew.freaks at uh, louisville.edu or you can contact me on my personal uh, mrfreaks89 at gmail.com. And you spell freights like breaks, but with an F instead of a B. <laughs> all right, man. I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes. And, and again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. Stay well. <laughs>